Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. We have been um, going through Genesis, and we are in now chapter 2, verses 4 to 14. Um, Genesis 2, uh, 4 to 14 is not another creation account. It's just God now focusing in and lasering in on what he has said in chapter 1. So after chapter 1 happens in the beginning of 2, he then says, all right, this is what I want you guys, this is how I'm going to bring all these concepts together, and this is how I'm going to present it, uh, you know, kind of like a, a summary or, or a focusing in. Um, so basically what we have before us is what paradise is. Um, now, now as I say this, this text is about paradise, I want you to think right now what things come to mind when you think of paradise. And not, not Christian things, all right? Don't, don't, don't give the Bible answer. Like the real answer, like what you really say and think on a day-to-day basis naturally to you apart from the, God's grace help when you see it. What is paradise? Um, and so what this section shows us is that paradise is these, it's this wonderful thing that God made that has three distinct elements. Paradise is people, paradise is place, and paradise is purpose. Um, so right now, this, 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 this main idea that paradise is people, place, and purpose is going to take us three sermons to unpack. So this is part one, and there'll be part two, and there'll be part three. So if it seems like it's kind of like not um, finished, you know why? Uh, because it's, I'm unpacking this in, in three Parts And so, so check this out. As, as we understand what paradise is, and we understand, understand these two elements first, people and place, we're going to understand what was God's intention, what was right in the beginning. Then we're going to think about what happened and how Christ comes to remedy that. So that's basically where we're going. So, so paradise, firstly, is about people, and that we get from you know, verses 4 to 8. Paradise is firstly about people. And as I bring the first concept in about paradise being about firstly people, I want to um, ask, present some ideas that may be wrong, you know. Is, is, is the people in paradise mostly happy people or is it, you know, uh, strong people or is it attractive people, wealthy people? Could it be people that are, I don't know, talented people, powerful people, successful people? I think those are some ways we could unpack how paradise people are. But, but I'm going to unpack it differently for you from these verses. So, so what are the people in paradise that God made? Firstly, they are people produced by pre-existing conditions. Look at this. On verse 5 it says, no shrub of the field had yet grown in the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So no plants, no rain yet, no guy working the ground, but water would come out of the ground and water the surface of the land. And then verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed breath of life into his nostrils. So God is making provisions where there's nothing yet, and as he's making provisions where there's nothing yet, out comes a guy that he forms. Um, and I think that uh, this is an important thing to bring out because 
Here's two pictures I want to I give you of, of, you know, what it means to be a person in God's kingdom from the original, from the very beginning. One is somebody coming from another country, a third world country. You hear this story a lot in Miami. They come from a third world country. And as they come here, they have nothing. And from, from nothing, they're like, they work hard and then they get, you know, they, they get educated. And then all of a sudden they, you know, become successful people. That's, that's one picture that we have. The other picture that I think we could, we could say is going to a place where there's nothing but dirt. And as there's nothing but dirt, you begin to put nutrients in the, in the dirt and you begin to put water in the dirt and you begin to like pull out the rocks and pull out the weeds. That's the second picture. And, and what God is saying is that God's people are like the second picture. We're not people that, that came across the land with nothing um, and then, you know, kind of made something from nothing. But, but God already was doing things, preparing things. And from what he was preparing, out comes a person from in God's paradise. So Christ comes, obviously after the fall, Christ comes and now he prepares things. He makes things be to be, to be a certain way so that then we could be created by God's pre-existing positions, provisions. So God comes through Christ and he lives a holy, sinless life, a perfect life under law. He comes and then he dies a sin-bearing, wrath-bearing, ransom death on the cross. He's resurrected. He goes to heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit and he proclaims the gospel of salvation. And from that comes God's people. You didn't, you didn't produce yourself by, you know, some sort of thing, but, but God laid provisions, he made provisions, and out that comes God's people. So we are made by pre-existing uh, provisions. And, and so, you know, and to be very practical, if this is how you were made, then how do you continue to live and exist? Same way. Same way. I, I got to go to the soil where Christ's blood is proclaimed where Christ's resurrection is made known, where his adoption is made known to me. And as I go back to those places where God made me, God then continues to sustain me. Because God's people in paradise were produced by pre-existing provisions. But there's something else I want to say about people in paradise. And that's the people made, listen, from God coming down, not us going up. People made from God coming down on us going up. Verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life in his nostrils. So God comes down to earth, and in coming down to earth, he begins to make us from the dust. You know, I think there's the idea that people come from heaven, right? We're like these spiritual beings, these sparks of like God-likeness that were in heaven, and then we God just sends us down. And now we just kind of have to you know, find our like little divine sparks. But, but what we see is God's people were made by God coming down to the earth, to the ground, not by us going up. And here, here's a picture that may help. When you go to the zoo, um, in order for your kids to see the animals in the zoo, if they're little kids, you have to pick them up. You go down and you pick them up in order for them to see. Um, the only other way for them to be able to see things in the zoo is for them to stack a bunch of chairs or stack, uh, climb a bunch of things and get higher. You, 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 you see the picture? And so what God is saying is that, look, paradise is about, is about God stooping down 
to build us up from the ground up. But in the fall, this is what happened. This is what happened to us. We decided that we were going to build ourselves up to God. We were going to stack moral chairs and make us more in order to kind of have a relationship with God. And so, you know, basically what our problem is, is we try to have a relationship with God by, by moral achievements, by moral chair stacking, by building ourselves up. And that's how we basically spend most of our time. That's how we basically manage our time. That's how we basically live. But, but, but God is saying, look, from the be- very beginning, you know, how you, you know how God made you? He made you from dust. Okay? Like God took dust and he made people out of that. That's how you came into this thing. And so because we sought in the fall to build ourselves up and not be built up by our creator, Christ had to leave heaven and go down and stoop down and humble himself to our place so that in him living a humble life, a, you know, true human life built by God, sustained by God, he would then restore us to God. He would, he would be crushed to dust on the cross so that we could be saved from our building ourselves up, stacking ourselves up kind of God-relating. And so, beloved, I think this is super, super, super important to bring out because, look, look, we have this tendency as Christians and as people to always want to build ourselves up from the dust, raise ourselves up from the dust, right? It's like every, everything in, like, religion and even modern Christianity, it's always like build ourselves up from the dust, raise ourselves up from the dust. But, but what God's saying, look, if you're God's people, you're not someone who raised yourself up from the dust. You are someone who had needs the power of an almighty and condescending, gracious God to come down into the dust and ashes of your life and by his gospel grace build you up. That's what a people in paradise are. But I got to keep going. Otherwise, I'll never leave. We're people that are brought into paradise, not from paradise. People brought into paradise, not from paradise. Look, it says, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. So he made the garden, and there he placed the man he had formed. So God made man out of the, you know, this paradise, Eden, this unique place, or the, or the garden, and he brings them in there. And like, you're like, why does that matter? Well, tell me, it's, it's very different. You know, when you invite someone to your house, it's your house, it's your stuff, and, and you're entitled to it, and you can do what you want with it, right? But if, if, you, if, if you're invited to someone else's house, it's different, right? Everything about it is different. And so here, here's the problem. In creation, God made us basically to live in his house, okay? But in the fall, we thought, you know what? This is my house. This is my house. I deserve to be here. You know, I was born here. Like, no, you weren't, Adam. You were brought there. I deserve to be here. I'm entitled to be here. And, and, and we started, we stopped acting like we were brought into God's house and with gratitude. And we started saying, you know what? This is my house. I should be here. And, and, and this is the same problem today. I, I think when, you know, we have, this is what it looks like today. People like, you know, like, why isn't, why isn't God save everybody? You know, you, know what that, you know what that question assumes? That you, you deserve to be in his house. We deserve to be in his house. It's my house. Why wouldn't we all be there? As opposed to why would God allow anybody in his house? 
because it's his place. And, and so, you know, our problem is that we, we just, we're entitled people and we're angry people and we're bitter people because we just think that paradise and God's special place as his people is just ours. We deserve it. And so Christ comes, he comes to the wilderness to be abandoned by his father, to be crushed by his father, to be, you know, cast out of the house, so to speak. Why? So that we could then be brought back into God's paradise by his grace to be people of gratitude and not entitlement. So, so we were brought into this thing. You, you weren't born in paradise. Even in the beginning, God, we were brought into it. So a few more things I want to say about people in paradise. We're people loved into existence from the unlovely. We're loved into existence from the unlovely. Verse 7 says, God formed man out of the dust. <laughs> You know, God could have made us, he could have made us a lot, of, he didn't have to make us out of dust, right? Couldn't he have made us out of anything? But he, he chose to make us out of dust, and not just that, um, <laughs> he told us he wanted to write and make us know that we were made out of dust. And so basically, God's people are wonderful piles of dust that have been made into something lovely by by his love. But here's a problem. In the fall, in the fall, in, 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 the, in you know, chapter 3, we wanted to be lovely in ourselves. You know, it's almost like, you know, like the, you know the story about uh, some, some popper girl or some, you know, street girl and she gets taken in by somebody and all of a sudden, like, you know, this girl who has nothing and is, and is dirty, it gets clothed with all these wonderful outfits and, and jewelry and her hair is done. And you know what happens? She begins to fall in love with her own beauty. And she stops being the person that was loved in her unloveliness. And so what Jesus does is he comes to, again, love us. Obviously not in the unloveliness of dirt, but he comes to love us in the unloveliness of sin, adultery, and just all sorts of wretchedness. He, he comes to, to, to love unlovely people who are covered in filth, not covered in dirt. As, as he is covered in our filth, he basically takes our sin dust suit and he is punished for our sins so that God could love you in your unloveliness and make you who you are from unloveliness. This is what it means to be God's people. Guys, look, let, let, me, just, let me just be really frank. We're not, we're, not spiritual, we're not spiritual magazine models. I know, like, people want to make the church out to be like that, like a bunch of spiritual magazine models that are plastic and really wonderful looking. But that's not us. You know, you know what we're more like? You know, you know, like, when your kid is out in the mud and just filthy, and you grab them and hug them like that, that's who you are. That's who we are. And you know what? That changes everything. Because all of a sudden now, to be a Christian is not to be somebody who's always trying to do something in my house, do something in my life, do something in this situation to make myself have something to be loved by God. But now I'm somebody who says, you know who I am? I'm someone who's loved in my unloveliness. That's who I am. 
That's what we see from creation. So a few more things. We are people that are loved into existence from the unlovely, but we are people alive in borrowed life, not in themselves. In borrowed life, not in themselves. Look, the Lord God formed man out of the dust, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. So there's something unique that happens when man is made, and that is that God you know, he communicates, he shares something of his own life into this dust suit or this dust pile. And out from God sharing in his own life, there are, that's how we are alive. Now, it's almost like the picture, you know, you know, like, a, I think, you know, like Jamie. Jamie has a little person inside of her. Um, and that person lives only because of Jamie's oxygen, Jamie's blood, Jamie's everything. It just does not live by itself. And God's saying, like, that's how you are in, that's how God's people are in paradise. They basically had no life in themselves. But you know what happened in the fall? In the fall, we tried to live by ourselves, from ourselves, to ourselves. And we basically said, that sounds like a good idea even though we can't live that way. And, and, and now it's like that. We, we, we try to sustain our life by a million things outside of God. I'm going to live and draw life from how my, you know, job is like, how my finances are like, how my relationships are like, how my marriage is like. I'm just going to live like I'm going to attach myself like an infant to all these things. And God's saying, look, you cannot live outside of God at all. And you cannot live through anything else. And so, so Christ comes into existence, okay? He gets severed from his father. He gets crushed by his father. He basically lives, he basically suffers for our trying to live on our own. And then God raises us up in Christ, Ephesians 2, 4. And then now, he basically brings us now back into this reality where we can now live entirely dependent upon God and drawing our life from God all the time. So this is what happened, and this is what God does. You know, it's like John, uh, you guys familiar with the passage, John 15, 1 to 5? John 15, 1 to 5 uh, says, what does it say? Do I have a reference here? I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? No, no, no. Didn't it say some things? Come on. Like sometimes nothing. Have you ever heard people say that, that religion is for people that, that, that need a crutch? You know what? That's true. I mean, God's people in paradise could not exist apart from God's life. <laughs> and so now God's people in the new paradise, we can't live, we can't breathe, we can't love, we can't obey, we can't do one spiritual thing apart from God sustaining us in Christ. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to be a person in God's paradise. So one more thing I want to say. One more thing. People in two distinct yet connected worlds. We're, we are, what is paradise people? People in two distinct yet connected worlds. The Lord God formed man out of the dust, 
and then he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. You know, like all the conversations about are people two parts, three parts? Here you go. Very simple. Material, spiritual, that's what man is. And all these things, body, mind, soul, spirit, mind, they're just different ways of describing the, the spiritual part. Man's not three parts. He's not four parts. Um, actually, that comes from Greek philosophy, not, not the Bible. So, so man is one complex being that has two related parts. But you know what happened in the fall? What happened in the fall is that we, hi- we started hijacking one aspect of our humanity against the other. So, you know, it kind of looks like this. Um, in the fall, we become people who are super spiritual and are very, like, biblical and very kind of, like, meditational, but we trash our bodies. We live like our bodies like, our, are like, a, like a, a circus. We don't sleep. We don't take care of ourselves. Why? Because we are trying to hijack one element of our humanity to the other. Or, or, or we do this. We, we, we become like the, the spiritual hippies. Where everything about our well-being is our diet, our exercise, like our sleep, our oils, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but we're both. And in the fall, we try to hijack one element of our humanity against the other. But we are two people who are in two distinct worlds that are related. Or let me give you another example of how this breaks down in the fall and our brokenness. We become people that are inner, inner spiritual, you know? Like, like, I just love Jesus in my heart, and I treasure Jesus in my heart, and then I just live like in an externally immoral, foul life. Why? Because I, I, I've made this separation that I have this inner spirituality that is not connected to my physical spirituality, or we become the people that just, our, our spirituality is entirely this, and it has nothing to do with our intentions in our heart. And so let me give you a few more examples that, that may help about this issue. Um, for example, parents, we, 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 we tend to do these kind of things. We, we make sure our kids have schooling. We make sure they have food. We make sure they have, you know, safety. We make sure they have security. We make sure, like, they have all these things that are a part of their material existence, but we act like they're not spiritual beings. You never talk to them about Christ. You never see what's in their heart. You never draw them out as to what is behind their motivations, what is their hopes and dreams. You, you just act like they were just made of matter, nothing else. That's some, that's some way that this breaks down. Or here's another example of how it breaks down. Uh, husbands, um, you, you tend to be spiritual with your wives and tell them all these spiritual things about the word of God and the truth of God, but you don't act like they're physical beings that have physical needs. Like, they need a rest, and you need to help them sleep at night. Like, they need, they need to physical kind of help, you know, in things involving, like, the home. And they, they need, like, attention, and they need nurture. They need things that are about them being not just spiritual beings, but physical. And so we're like, man, like, I don't get it. Like, I'm always telling my wife all the Bible truth all the time, but she just doesn't listen. It's because you're acting like she's just some spiritual mass that has no physical needs. And so in the fall, man separates these realities. He hijacks one or the other. But in redemption, Christ, Christ, the eternal spirit, son of God, as humanity to his deity, and he brings these worlds back together. 
You know, here's a good example of this. In, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, they were having the same issue. They had this material spirituality and then have a spiritual spirit. They were, they were separating God's people to be these things. Look, look, Paul says, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. But God will do away with both of them. So they were basically saying like, hey, man, you know, in the same way that, that you just eat food because your body needs it, that's just kind of like how sex is. Sex is just a physical thing. It has nothing to do with spirituality. And this is all, look, look what Paul says. Look, God, uh, the body is not for sexual morality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Okay? Like your body, what you do with your body has something to do with your humanity and Christ. Um, God raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? Should I take the part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But if anyone's joined in the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside of the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is God's sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, so what, what, what Paul is saying to, to, to these people who are trying to separate physical and spiritual is that Christ's redemption, his physical life, his physical death, his physical resurrection means that every aspect of your humanity now is important to God and matters. So, all right. We are, people in paradise are those who are in distinct yet connected worlds. Distinct net corrected worlds. But here's the second part of our sermon, the second main idea, and that is place. Paradise is about a special place. Look at a, look, I mean, and, and let, me, let me tease out some ways you might think of a special place, you know. We think of a special place, you probably think like of a, I don't know, nice city, like not like homestead, you know. Like all, all y'all want to escape Miami. All y'all want to skip Miami and go to a nice city. You think of paradise, you think of like a nicer city. Um, I'm teasing y'all a little bit. Uh, we, we think of, you know, a vacation spot. We think of something that we would build, some, some, some sort of like, I don't know, really great thing that we could build. We, we think of, or we think of, we think of paradise as some sort of celestial city where we like float around, you know, in heaven with harps. And we just look at each other and look at God in some kind of like spiritual weird thing. But, but look, 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 we're going to learn right now what it means to be a part of God's place in paradise. Part of God's place in paradise. And this is super important because God's people need to always be in God's place. Now, what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip the first point. I don't know. Like, I, I'm one of these preachers who thinks like the Holy Spirit like does stuff when stuff is going on. So I'm going to skip that point. I, I, I just feel like I need to. And I'm going to go to the second point, point person. All right? Okay, we're just still on the, the second main idea. So the first way I unpack God's place is by saying this place is sacred, not secular. This place is sacred, not secular. You guys notice something about all the imagery in the garden? Where's the other place we see this imagery? Where do we see fruit and branches and plants in the Bible outside of this? In the, in the temple. 
in their tabernacle. Um, so when God makes a tabernacle and he makes a temple and there's all these fruits and all these things, what God is saying is that now this is a new expression of my special place in a fallen world. So this place, this garden is a special place that has a special purpose just to meet with and enjoy God. And you know what happened in the fall? This is what happened in the fall, beloved. In the fall, we try to make God's special place a common place. You know, like, if you're, what, what happens if you give your two or three-year-olds, if you give your two or three-year-olds a bunch of diamonds, what are they going to do? They're going to they're throw them around like they're just regular rocks. And so that's what happened in the fall. We had this special place this special place that was holy. God, this is my one place where you can enjoy me and worship me and I can enjoy you. And we make it just like everything else in the fall. And that's what we continue to do. Which is why, <laughs> look, beloved, people want to make the church a place to fix your finances, a place to fix your kids, a place to fix your marriages, a place to fix your, you know, I don't know, your, your, your lack of success, you know, a place to give you stuff, a place to just give you some, like, emotional high, a place to just make you better. And God's, like, saying, look, my place, my church is the one place in the universe where it's all about my glory and enjoying me. We don't make the church to be like everything else. God made this place to be the one place on the planet where it's all about God and all about his glory and his amazing wonder and not just like everything else. You know, that's fine. God's, and you know, I say that's fine. Um, when God's, when the church is about what the church is about, everything else works out. You know that? When the glory of God and coming to this place, why? Not because I want to feel better, not because I want to fix this. I come here because God, I want to meet the creator of all universe and I want to meet him through Christ. When the church becomes that, you know what happens? Marriages change. Lives change. The way you use your money changes. The way you parent changes and things get better. But, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen by making this place just like everything else. You know, I think this is super important because people now want to make the church to be this place just to fix society and all their problems. That's not the church. This is the one place in all of existence where God's like, look, you come here just because of me. You come here to enjoy me. And Christ, he comes into existence. And you know, what happened when Christ came to the temple? Christ comes to the temple and he basically like throws over tables. He kicks people out. He's got a whip. Why? So you making this place like everything else. This place is not like everything else. This, what did Jesus say? This place will be a house of prayer, a place to meet with God, enjoy God, be amazed by God. Don't make this like everything else. Get out of here. And so Christ comes and he lived for the glory of God. He lives for his pleasure. Every ounce of his life was all God-centered so that now we can receive that God-centeredness. And come to this place just for his own sake. So it's a place sacred, not secular. But here's more I want to unpack. It's a place specific, not general. Look, listen. The Lord God planted a garden where? In Eden. 
And there he placed a man he had formed. So this unique place was something that was not like the rest of existence. You know, and here's a picture that may help. You know, what, what, what happens when you say every house? If you say every house in Miami is yours, what does that mean? It means you don't have no house in Miami is yours. If you say everyone's your best friend, what does that mean? No one's your best friend. You say every place is God's special place. What does that mean? Oh, you don't want to follow me there, do you? That's what we see here. Is there's a unique place. Even though God is everywhere, and even though we can enjoy God everywhere, but there's a unique place that God makes in order for him to be enjoyed. And you know what happened? In the fall, this is what happened. In the fall, through Satan's help, it's like, you know what? I think we can meet God wherever we want. You know what? I think, I think we can make our own special place. And, but beloved, in, in all the Bible, you know what? In all the Bible, God is always saying there's a special place to meet me. At, at, here it was Eden. Later it was a tabernacle. Later it was a temple. And now you know where it is now? It's with his spirit and dwell people, the corporate body of Christ. There's always a special place that is unique. Um, here's an example of, of, of something in the Bible where people decided, like, not to do that. Uh, I'm going to open up 2 Kings 17 and verse, where am I at? 17, verse 33. Listen to this. They fear the Lord, so they're worshiping God, but they also appointed from their number priests to serve them in the shines of the high places. They fear the Lord, but they also worship their own God. So basically, they were like, hey, man, we're all about God, but we want to worship him where we want, how we want. We want to go on the mountains, on the trees, on the high tops. And God had a major problem with that. And, and I think, beloved, Honestly, the tendency in Miami is that as well. We think, we, we think that our special place is like me by myself with Jesus. And look, I'm not trying to say that there's nothing significant about that. There is. But that's not God's ultimate expression of his special place. It's you and Jesus with, by yourself. It's not you and your family with Jesus. It's not you with your Christian friends in a coffee shop. There, what God is saying is that there's a unique place there's a unique place where you can meet with me, and as you meet with me in that unique place, then you can filter out from that. And, and but what he's saying is that that unique place is his garden, his people where they are. And so, beloved, you know where your special place is? If this is your church, it's with God's corporate people around the gospel. And I think this is something that's very hard in Miami because in Miami, like I said, we have an individualistic spirituality where we think everything that we want to be the God's special place is God's special place. And God is saying, look, there's something unique and special about the place I set apart. And that place now is a New Testament church gathered around Christ. And, 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 and we can experience that by ourselves. We can experience that like you know, in the coffee shop with like our, you know, devotionals. We can only experience that in his special place. Y'all follow me? And I'm not saying there's nothing significant about like us connecting with God individually or personally, but what I'm saying is that there, there, there is this unique and special place that God designates in order for you to enjoy him uniquely. You know, and Acts says God bought the church with his own blood. 
He didn't buy you. He bought you with a people. And that means that the way you get to enjoy that is in his special places now that our local churches, wherever they are, wherever they gather, wherever they're together, that is God's special place. So it's this place specific, not general. But listen to this, and this is building on that. It's a place to dwell, not visit. It says in verse 8, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and there he placed the man he had formed. Listen, the word place is the same word for Sabbath rest in verses 2, 1 to 3. And you know what that means? When he says, he, I place you there, he's basically saying, I place you there to rest and like make this like your bed and like your resting place. Um, the problem is, is that in the fall, you know what happened in the fall, beloved? In the fall, we wanted to make God's special place a place we just visit from time to time when it's convenient to us. You know, kind of like, you know, like the, the wayward teenager that's just always out. You know what I'm talking about? The wayward teenager that's always out and never stays at home. Like, that's what happened in the fall. Like, you know what? I think I don't want to plant myself in God's special place where he makes his glory known, where his people are in his special place. But I think I just want to visit. I think I want it to be convenient. I think I want it to be casual. I think I want it to just, you know, I don't know. I just want to date the church. (laughs) And God's like, look, look, look. Christ has come to love you and live for you so that you can plant your life in his special places. To plant your life there, not to visit casually in a a very casual way, beloved. God's special place is for you to just plant your life comprehensively. Um, There's one text that I think, I'm going in the Bible more than usual, um, but I don't know, I can do that. Listen to this, beloved. Ephesians 2, verse 19. This is you. So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You're part of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. Listen, listen. This is you. The whole building, not like the stones doing their stoniness by themselves, the whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You are all together, not by yourselves, in God's special place, planting your life. You're growing into this living, like actual growing sanctuary. You are also being built together by God's dwelling in the spirit. So, beloved, you know where God is going to nurture you and grow you and love you and transform you? It's going to be by you planting your life firmly in his special place. I did not understand this as an early Christian, but now I do by God's grace. And, you know, let me, let me, let me share something personal. You know what? You know what I think? I, I, I've had a season that's been a little bit harder for me. And you, and you know why I think it's harder for me? I think God, God's... I have stopped seeing the church as a place for me to plant my life to receive grace from his corporate body. And I've seen the church just as a place for me to, like, work and do things. And God's saying, look, 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 look. I was thinking this last night. Look, the church is this place where you plugged into this corporate body of people that have the gospel and the Holy Spirit then builds you up. It's not a job. It's not a job. 
So it's a place to dwell, not visit. And I'm building on that. It's a place of fellowship, not an assembly line. It's a place of fellowship, not an assembly line. You say, why do you say that? Well, it says paradise is a what? A garden. What do you do in gardens? Come on, what are gardens typically for? They're romantic places, places to meet with people, places, you know, where do people get married oftentimes in nice gardens? Place to grow. But I'm talking about what happens oftentimes in gardens. It's places where you meet with people, specially to, you know, kind of enjoy them. And, and, you know, like that's why we have so many like love scenes in movies where people are just where? In a garden. And so what happens, and check out, if you read Song of Solomon, what's through all of Song of Solomon? Garden. So this picture of man and woman is all with this garden imagery. And so look, look, look. Here's what happened. In the fall, God's special place of fellowship became an assembly line. It became a place to just be like God, like, like, like the serpent. It became a place to just do things. And this is what happens now. We, this, this is how we see the church, beloved. We see the church like this. It's a place for me to do the right thing. It's a place for me to avoid bad things. It's a place for me to serve. And look, those are parts of that, but they're not the main thing. We see the church is a place to fight Satan. I've been to churches where every, all you do all day is fight Satan. All you do all day is serve. All you do all day is keep rules. All you do all day is all these things. And God's saying, look, 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 look. This is a garden. Meaning this is a place for you to be loved by me, to be cared for by me, to have intimacy with me. It's not a place to get smarter. Get You know, it's a place where we have this garden-like love experience with God. And it'll make us feel uncomfortable because, I don't know, I, we just have this view of God that is just so often very just factual and pragmatic. And, 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 but look, this, this is what God is saying. God's special place. You know, here's a picture I want you to see. You know, like when you're walking with your kids and, and you have this moment and like they just get really excited and, they, and, and you pick them up and they look at you and they say, Papa, I love you. And you have this emotion and you're like, yes, I love you, my son. That's the church. That's a church. It's a bunch of kids coming to God's garden to walk with him intimately and fellowship, not just a place to do right things, not just a place to serve, not just a place to have spiritual battles, though those things happen. It's a unique place of fellowship. And I, I think I've lost this, beloved, honestly. Like, I feel like this whole sermon is like, it's like rebuking me. I think I come here to, like, preach sermons. I think I come here to make sure things are going right. I don't think, man, like, God's going to love me uniquely in this place. God's going to walk with me uniquely. God, God is here right now. What's going on right now? You know, God is actually walking with us now in his new garden, the church. But there's a few more things I need to say, probably like three or four, actually. Um, it's a place of obscurity. Not grandiosity. Like I said, another way, it's, it's, it's a regular place, not an impressive place. Guys, don't you think it's weird that like paradise, the, paradise, the place of paradise is like a garden? Right? I mean, I mean, people have gardens in their backyard. People have gardens like in their, you know, it's, it, there's, there's nothing very impressive about this. There's nothing very amazing about it. It's just like, like, oh, God, where, where, where are you going to come down and fellowship with us? A garden. You know? 
and here, let me give you a picture that may help. You, you, know, you, know, you know, a lot of times we do in, in Miami is we have second jobs. We have second jobs so that we can be able to go to vacations in Disney World. Um, I don't, maybe no one here does that. I've just met so many people that do that. We have second jobs so that we can go to vacation in Disney World. You know why? So that we can have, our, have this really great time with our family. And the assumption is that in order for me to enjoy my family, I need to go to some really spectacular place. I can't just enjoy them like in a regular place on a daily basis. So I'm just going to ignore them while I work a second job so then I can go have fun with them in some special place. It's like you don't need some grandiose fake place to enjoy them. Now, if you can enjoy them there and enjoy them in regular places, by all means do that. (laughs) Is there anyone here that (laughs) I don't want to ask? And so, look, beloved, this is what the, the problem in the fall, the problem in the fall is that Satan presents it more. Like, you don't have to meet God in this just regular place. There's something more, something bigger, something greater, like something more like Tower of Babelish. You know, like high tower, big this. And you know what, beloved? This is so pertinent to our day because we go to church and we find church, not because Christ, our husband, is presented most clearly. We go to church because of grandiose things. Grandiose buildings, grandiose mass amounts of people, grandiose programs, grandiose musical performance, and like self-style, like, you know, God-like preachers who like are some anointed, like high on the sky things. We go to these grand places, no God, and God's like, look, I meet you in really obscure places. That's where I meet you. I mean, just think about it. How, how, did you, how, how, do you, how do you have a relationship with God now? This is how you, this is how, this is how you have a relationship with God. Um, the, glory of, the glory of God Almighty, he basically came on and was born, and he breastfed. He was born in a place where no one could attend to him. Like, they were like rednecks from Nazareth. Like, he was broke. He was poor, he was hungry, he was despised and rejected. And then, you know, on top of that, he was born in a Jewish nation, one of the smallest, most obscure nations. And on top of that, he dies a criminal's death on a wedding cross. Is this, that's pretty obscure, right? There's something, what's impressive about that? You lived a human life, you were hungry, like you were in Jerusalem, you know, and you died on a cross. There's nothing. And God's like, that is where you meet me. That is where you meet me. And you know what? This is, this is good because for us, what happens, what happens, beloved, when, when places are really important and prominent and grandiose? We feel like we can't go there, right? But the fact that God's most special place is this regular place that is obscure, it says, you know what? It's available to everybody. There's no, you can't go in here because you're not spectacular enough for the spectacular place. There, there's, there's none of that. Why? Because God meets his people in a special place that is unobvious and obscure, not amazing. Though it is amazing, but it's amazing in its obscurity. So I need to move on. I need to move on fast. It's a place of sufficient provision, not a specialty mark. It's a place of sufficient precision, not a specialty mark. You say, listen, verse 9, 
Lord God caused to grow on the ground every green tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the garden. So the, the, what God is emphasizing is that everything you need is in my special place. And here's a, you know, specialty stores. I like specialty stores. You, you guys like specialty stores? You go there, you get one thing, you know, like you get your, like, uh, your cheeses there and whatever. But God, and I hate, I hate to use this reference because it's probably not that helpful. But it, 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 it is helpful. God's, God's special place is more like Walmart. What I, what I mean by Walmart is like everything's there. You need food, you need, you need, gro- you need, you need movies, you need TVs, you need guns, yes, uh, bullets, yes. You know, everything's there. And, like, and, and what God is saying, look, obviously it's much better than Walmart because Walmart has just like low quality stuff. Um, but, but, but God's special place has everything you need. But in the fall, you know what happened? Like, you know what? I think God's special place is like, it's like a specialty store. It's not enough. I can get my cheese there. I can get my, you know, I can get some things there. And, and, and that's how we are now. We are like that now. We're like, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't think I can get everything I need for my spiritual life and my spiritual nourishment in God's special place. I think I need to like, just see the church as like a specialty place. And I got to go running around. So like, you know, I can't find all of my hope, you know, and, and, and comfort in Christ and his church. I need to find it in sexuality and sex and drugs and in and, and, and my job and like my body. Like, I, you know, and all these things. And God's like, look, look, this is an all-inclusive, all-satisfying place. You need hope, Christ's gospel and his finished work gives you hope. You stuck in sin, beloved? The power of Christ's death and burial eradicates and blows the gates of any sin. There is not one sin issue that the power of the gospel and resurrection does not obliterate. You need love and inclusiveness? Then we got adoption here in the beloved. You know, you, you feel like you lack motivation, you lack purpose, well, come into God's special place where you're not just a somebody, but you are a child of the Most High God made for eternity and glory. You're tired, got problems in your marriage, got problems in your relationships, then come here where Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You don't know where life is going. You don't know what's going to happen. You're not sure of your security. Then come to God's special place where God is already in Christ, seated you in glory now. So, beloved, God's special place is not a specialty mark, but God's special place is all-inclusive. That has everything you need for every situation. So, I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip the next point again. And I'm going to go to the following point, and that is, and there's only two more things I want to say. Only two more things I want to say. It is a place sustained by the external, not the internal. Listen to me, beloved. It's a place sustained by the external, not the internal. You may say, why do you say that? I will tell you why. Verse 10 says, a river went out from Eden to water the garden. You see that? The river was at another place, and the river from another place went into the garden. So the, the, the thing that sustained life in God's special place came from outside, okay? Um, and so 
we kind of get this idea in the world in general. In the world in general, what happens? Uh, God, you've got to bring rain from outside down to the ground, otherwise nothing happens. You've got to bring sun from outside, otherwise nothing happens, right? Um, so God's special place is made it, God made this place to be special in the fact that everything that it needed came from outside into it. But here's what happened in the fall. You know what happened in the fall? You don't need stuff from outside. It's all here. You don't need to go to the tree of life, and you don't need to depend on, like, the water of life coming into the garden. You can have everything in you. And this is, beloved, is this not what religion sounds like today? Everything starts here. It's all about your surrender. It's all about your morality. It's all about your dying to Jesus. It's all about what comes from in you out to God. And God is saying that, look, beloved, This is the only place where everything that we need comes from outside. We sing songs about a Christ who comes down to us from outside. We we hear sermons about a Christ whose word comes down to us. Everything is all sustained by the water of life that comes from the gospel towards us in us. That's how we live. And here's one example I want to give you. Uh, And sorry for so much text jumping but I don't know. I thought, I thought it was important today. So check this out. Mark 2. Mark 2, 5. Listen to this. Look what it says. Mark 2, it's, it's the account of the paralyzed guy. So you familiar with that story about the paralyzed guy? He's being carried, he's being carried by his, his four homeboys because he can't walk. All right? Everyone there? Everyone with me? Okay. So listen. So Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So how did this guy who was physically paralyzed be able to walk? And his physical physical paralysis represented his spiritual paralysis, by the way. Everything in the gospel is always going into the deeper reality, not just the physical reality. How did this guy who was paralyzed able to walk and go home and pick up his mat? Because Jesus told him a word of forgiveness. So as he heard a word coming to him about being forgiven, he was then saved from his paralysis. So where you going with that, beloved? The, I don't care what issue it is. If, it's, if you have a hard heart, if you are depressed, if you are broken, if you are angry, like if you have a relationship, it's always a word of forgiveness, a word of redemption, a word of salvation coming from outside that just breaks that situation. That's what God's place is. We, we are a place that is sustained by something from outside of us coming to us and then moving us from the inside. So there's one more thing. One more thing I want to say about God's special place. And that is, it is a place provided for that provides. A place provided for that provides. Look at, look at verse 10. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided, it divided and became the source of four rivers. So you see this? River comes from outside. And then from Eden, it divides to four ways. You follow me? So meaning that as God supplies God's, his special place, then everything else is provided for. Um, I think a, a helpful picture is like, uh, Lewis, he's like a water, 
plant guy. So, you know, he's probably like, if I say this wrong, he's probably going to like, like, that's not right. Um, whatever. But water plants, they basically take the water, I guess, wherever they get it from, he knows, I don't know, from the ground. And when it comes to this centralized place, it then can go to everywhere else to benefit everywhere else. Okay? And so what God is saying is that my special place is like that. I pour into the church. I pour into the place where God's people are in Christ. And as I pour into that, then everything else is benefited from that. So how how does that play out? Beloved, we don't need government. The government needs us. We don't need society. Society needs us. We don't need families. Families need the church. That makes sense. Uh, We don't need culture. We don't need cities. We don't even need organizations. Organizations and cities need us. Why? Because God providing for his special place where his people are in Christ is what then feeds into everything else. And beloved, this is so significant because we think that if we make family prominent in the church, then families will be able to be benefited. But, but, but what this text is saying is that God's place where you, we exalt Christ. We exalt like the glory of the triumphant, law-keeping, sin-bearing, resurrected, ascended Christ. And as we exalt Christ, then from that, marriages are affected. You know, the church is not a place to fix society and society's issues. The church is a new society where, the, you know, the, the King Jesus on a hill of Golgotha, as he's exalted and that pours into God's community, then it goes out. You know, the church is not a place where we just exalt virtues and values and, and agendas and all this stuff. A church is a place where we exalt the perfect Christ who did a perfect work, and as God's people receive from his grace, we then begin to give life in the world. But it doesn't go any other way. And that's the problem. In the fall, Satan was like, look, let me, uh, let me make every place a central place to provide. It's almost like, let me make every house a water treatment plant. What happens if every house becomes a water treatment plant? Water going to be jacked up. So, beloved, this is just, I know it's like, you know, there's still a lot I could say about Genesis 2, but just, just understand that, that we're going to do this over two more sermons. And basically, beloved, look, look, look. God's paradise, God's paradise is a place where people have been provided for by God outside of them. And God's paradise is a place where these people that have been provided for outside of them now have this special place where they're provided for. So, so going back to that original question, what's paradise? You know what paradise is? It's God's people and God's place. And beloved, you know what? That changes the way you see everything in your life. What you think is paradise will dictate how you live your life, will dictate how you make decisions. And, and God is saying, beloved, look what paradise is. It's people and place in Christ because of Christ and through Christ. So live your life like that's actually true because it is. Amen? Father, thank you for showing us that your paradise is all about people that were made by your graces and people that are now provided for in your special place. And Lord God, help us to be those people who are provided for in your special place. Father, help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.